Once you start to become aware, then building on that to try to just change those, that negative self-talk to more positive self-talk. And it will take time. And, and that's part of that self-compassion piece and not expecting yourself to get it perfect tomorrow. Hello, and welcome to the Plant Prescription Podcast. This podcast is all about helping you live a longer, happier, and healthier life. We will be featuring conversations with great minds to inspire you to reach your ultimate potential. My name is Muzammil Ahmed. I'm a medical student with a master's in psychology, certification in nutrition, and a bachelor's in business. And my name is Cass Warbeck. I'm a medical student with a Bachelor of Science in Health and Fitness Physiology, and I'm also a plant-fueled Muay Thai fighter. We are both plant-based lifestyle advocates who are passionate about spreading positivity, optimizing health, and promoting sustainability. Hello friends, we have a special guest today, Dr. Justine Doubt, a researcher based in Calgary, Alberta. She's passionate about empowering others to heal themselves holistically and believes strongly in the power of self-compassion to achieve wellness and manage chronic disease. She was always fascinated by the psychology of behavior change, leading her to complete a PhD in health psychology. However, she met an unexpected challenge when she discovered she had celiac disease immediately before beginning her doctoral studies. For those of you who may not know, Celiac disease occurs when people with a genetic predisposition experience an immune-based reaction to the gluten protein found in wheat, barley, and rye that primarily affects the small intestine. The only therapy for this disease is lifelong adherence to a gluten-free diet. This diagnosis would not only influence Justine's lifestyle, but also shape her future, helping fuel her passion for research on dietary behaviors of people living with celiac disease, for which she has earned a number of research awards. Combining her personal experiences and scientific knowledge, Justine frequently leads holistic health seminars and coaches people one-on-one to find natural solutions for their health challenges. I've personally had the pleasure of working alongside Justine with some of her research, something we talk about in this episode, but I would just like to announce that some of the results for this study have recently been accepted for publication. We've included a link in the show notes. This is a great conversation filled with actionable advice on how you can benefit from and incorporate self-compassion into your life. We truly hope you enjoy this exchange. And please share this with anyone who may be interested and find it beneficial. Hi, Justine. We are super excited to have you. I think our listeners are going to enjoy this episode. Would you like to give us a bit of an introduction about yourself? Sure. Thank you so much for having me. It's my pleasure to, uh, to speak with you both today. Um, so my name is Justine Doubt. I have my PhD in health psychology, and I'm really passionate about helping others heal themselves holistically. I've been through a number of uh, ups and downs in my health and wellness journey, um, struggling with headaches for years, celiac disease, um, IBS, fertility issues. And um, throughout my journey, I've realized that a holistic approach is just so important um, to healing yourself in all areas uh, to really feel your best. And so now I'm a researcher at the university and I'm a holistic health coach. Um, and I just love working with people. So it's my pleasure to talk with you today. Yeah. So just to start off, do you just want to, depending on whichever happened first, do you want to start off with either how you got into uh, studying this or uh, your diagnosis for celiac disease, or if they overlap, you can kind of just give us a holistic story and, and our listeners will love to hear the details. So please go in depth if you'd like to. Okay. And I guess in terms of studying this, so right now, like, what were you hoping I'd talk about study wise? Cause I 
kind of have my hand in a lot of different pots. <laughs> so what, would, what do you want me to talk about? Maybe we can get into the, some of the studies and the research a bit later, but if you just want to start with maybe a bit more about your own personal story. So you mentioned you were diagnosed with celiac disease yourself. Um, can you just share what this experience was like for you? Absolutely. Yes. My diagnosis with celiac disease, I think was many years in the making, like many people experience. Um, I, I'm 35 now. I was diagnosed 10 years ago this fall. Um, and probably was celiac since I was maybe 15 or 16. I don't really know, but definitely struggled with a lot of uh, stomach pain as a teenager and just not really knowing what it was from um, back then 20 years ago now. Wow. <laughs> I, um, no one really talked about it. It wasn't something you talked to your doctor about. It wasn't something that um, I wasn't that sick that um, it made me really think about it. But um, it was definitely... I really struggled a lot um, at different times in my life as well. I think some different life things probably uh, triggered that, but, um, and, and it's actually, it runs in my family, my mom, my brother, my sister all have celiac disease and other family members probably do as well. We just, uh, I think are undiagnosed as of yet. And so it definitely runs strong in my family. Um, so then my mom was diagnosed about just over 10 years ago now. And then we all started to realize that maybe these different symptoms that we were feeling mm-hmm. um, might, might have to do, might have an answer, which actually is great um, to have the celiac diagnosis as much as on the one hand, it's, um, it's something, it's sad to know that you'll never be able to eat gluten again. On the other hand, it's also an answer um, to how to feel better. And it was really the beginning of the next phase of my life because I didn't have to uh, live with the daily pain that I was going through. And it was so, um, what's the right word? Yeah, just empowering to finally have an answer to all this pain and to not know that I, or to know that I wasn't crazy. Um, And then, so I was diagnosed and then I started to navigate a gluten-free diet. And it's so interesting. I'm sure other celiacs who are listening (laughs) might feel this as well, where at first um, when I was diagnosed, anything that was labeled gluten-free, I would eat. So I actually started to gain weight because I saw something gluten-free and then I just immediately thought, okay, I have to eat it. And it was an interesting (laughs) time. I was just starting my PhD too. So I was just Uh, reflecting on um, my own experience as I was going gluten-free and how that was going. And then um, I started to still really struggle. Um, I'm sure it was compounded with um, IBS always, but I didn't even figure it out for, I think, about six years. And it's really common for people with celiac disease to also have IBS, but it often goes unnoticed, undiagnosed, um, because there's just so many overlapping symptoms. It can just be really tricky. Is it because, are you feeling in distress because of the celiac disease, because of eating gluten, or is it just part of the gut healing process, or is it IBS? Um, And it can be so, so tough to navigate that. And so I really just recommend people finding um, a healthcare provider, probably a dietitian, who is well-versed in helping to heal, heal the gut um, and to navigate any other issues that come up along the way as well. Yeah, you mentioned you had some symptoms before being diagnosed. Could you just elaborate so people listening could connect more with that? Yeah, always just um, a ton of bloating, gas, you know, burping and gas um, in general. It was just awful, so painful. 
And then I remember so many times going out to a restaurant and you sit down, you're starving. And then of course they put bread on the table. And so I'd eat that. And then I'd have a pain. I'd be in so much pain that I couldn't even eat dinner Mm -hmm. or whatever meal we were having. And so that would be um, just so frustrating and not knowing where this was coming from. No one even spoke about gut health issues back then. So um, a lot of that pain, um, having to run to the washroom was just, yeah, really, um, frustrating, embarrassing, and just not knowing where it was coming from. So getting that diagnosis must have felt amazing for you, just getting the answer. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It was um, an answer to, to help start to heal myself. And I think that I was also so lucky about when I was diagnosed because I, was, I had just ended a relationship. I was moving across the country to start a new life in, in Vancouver um, and starting my PhD. So I was in this transition in my life. And so I think for me, it was probably easier to go gluten-free than many other people might experience because I was in this transition. And so many people that I talk to, um, often really, really struggle with it because for years they were able to eat so-called able to eat at anything and then all of a sudden they're diagnosed and now their family has to deal with these massive changes um maybe you know is it sharing a toaster or not uh just having to be careful when you go from being able to just have anything in your house to now having to triple check anything you eat um and if you have kids a partner this is just it's so um multi-level the ways that are the areas that are impacted when someone's diagnosed. So it's great to have an answer, but it also can lead to some family um, strife as people start to navigate this new, new way of living. I think this might be a good point to bring up that a lot of people that um, don't have experience with celiac disease, I don't think people understand how little um, contamination it actually takes to cause extreme symptoms. Can you just maybe tell our listeners like, what it takes and how much? Yeah, some people can get sick just from a tiny crumb. So that's where if you are um, eating out or anywhere, if you're just having toast from a toaster, you can still get sick from that. Um, I'm sorry, I can't remember the exact numbers of what can make you sick, but um, in terms of grams of food, but we do know that um, even just in terms of cross-contamination, so if you're in, um, in a restaurant and things are cross-contaminated by being in a deep fryer, people can get really sick from that if gluten is can, um, in that as well. And so we do know that it's um, 20 parts per million or less. That is, or that would be the threshold for people with celiac disease that they're okay to tolerate up to 20 parts per million um, of gluten, but that is a very, very tiny amount. I can imagine that'd be extremely hard to navigate and quite a new situation to adapt to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, really tricky. Just getting the diagnosis is just step one. Like you said, it's a, it's a huge transition just to be able to change your diet, not only for yourself, but then you have to make a lot of changes within your home. A lot of people, I know a lot, a few of my friends, not like two of my friends who have been diagnosed, like you mentioned, they had to change everything and their family had to readjust everything because of the cross contamination. And it's something that requires like, you know, first you, I'm guessing you could probably confirm this if it's accurate, but I feel like, at first, you'd be very happy that you have a diagnosis, you have an answer, but then you realize how now you have to make this a huge adjustment in your life. And that's like another huge step now you have to take. 
Yeah. And, and I just wish that everyone who was diagnosed could just be handed um, a dietitian who was really well trained in counseling or some sort of health coach so that you can really navigate this because there'll be ups and downs. And so I guess my message to less listeners would be reach out for help. There are so many great people who really, um, there are some that are less well-versed. And uh, if, if you're working with someone who doesn't click with you, just keep looking to find that right person to help you heal and feel well, because there are wonderful people out there. Um, that's excellent advice. Um, I think I've heard you mention before that um, for a lot of people with celiac disease, a gluten-free diet is not enough to control symptoms. So perhaps from your own experience, could you elaborate on what you found to help in addition to your gluten-free diet? Yeah, absolutely. And that's where this holistic approach, I think, is so important. So we do uh, know that there are numerous components that help with overall well-being. And so what I talk about with my clients is um, sleep is so essential. And so if we're not sleeping well, we can't react to stressors well, and it really sets us off um, in a number of negative ways. And then often we'll experience GI symptoms. Um, exercise is a key part as well. Cassie, you helped me <laughs> with a really cool program that we'll probably get into. Um, and it was one of the first, I think, the first exercise study looking at how um, we can help people with celiac disease and just the benefits of um, being active. And so we do know big picture that people who are regular physically active do feel better. Um, it helps with gut symptoms, quality of life. Uh, stress and anxiety. There are numerous benefits of regular exercise or just simply being active. And then the big piece is stress management. So it's these mindset skills. Is it um, meditation, self-compassion? I really like to incorporate a variety of different skills, tools in, in your toolkit so that depending on your day, depending on the situation, you can cope um, with whatever is going on. And so having mindfulness, um, mindfulness meditation in your toolbox is so, so beneficial. Simply stopping and taking three deep breaths is really, really helpful for resetting um, if your system, um, activating the parasympathetic nervous system so that your gut can um, relax. I, when I start working with clients, this is often the first place we start because often when we're stressed, we feel a really tight ball in our gut. And if we take three deep breaths, I've yet to meet anyone who doesn't start to feel at least a little bit of relaxation in their mm -hmm. gut. And so that's from the vagus nerve, the connection between our brain and our gut. Um, and so meditation can be really helpful with that. And the self-compassion piece is so important too, in terms of specifically when we're going through difficult times, um, and we can get into this in a lot more detail. I'll let yeah. you guys let me know what you want to hear, but self-compassion is such a key piece of coping with, uh, gut health issues, whatever they may be. I'd love to kind of, there's so much to dig into there actually. Yeah. Um, perhaps you can start by maybe defining what self-compassion is because it might be a new term for some listeners or it's something that could be easily confused with like self-image and things like that. Sure. Self-compassion is simply giving ourselves the same loving kindness that we would give to other people. Uh, and the researchers have broken that down to three key components. So it's made up of self-kindness versus self-judgment, um, common humanity rather than feeling isolated and mindfulness versus over-identification. And I can give an example of how all these uh, play together, yeah, specifically when uh, 
when I used self-compassion when I was glutened, um, so I think it was about, it's happened um, not too often, but it does happen. And so about two years ago, I um, had a meal out and it was a meal um, at a sports club that was labeled gluten-free and um, I read the ingredients. It seemed okay. There were soba noodles in it. And I looked it up and it said, sometimes they're gluten-free, sometimes they're not. But I just assumed that uh, they were gluten-free. And unfortunately, a couple hours later, I found out they were definitely not. Um, and I was in an extreme amount of pain. Fortunately, I was at home, but I was extremely sick. And it was awful. Um, and I was preparing from one of my first gut health seminars. And it was really interesting as I started to notice what was going on in my brain. So immediately I got, I became really hard on myself and I was thinking, you're so stupid. How could you let this happen? You teach this. Why didn't you triple check this? This is just, you know, I went down that path and it was terrible, but I also then noticed, wow, what is going on? I feel terrible and I'm berating myself. This is not helpful. So I took a deep breath and I just started to say, this happens. You, you know, I'm really sorry that you're going through this. And this is just awful. You have celiac disease and you've been glutened. I'm so, so sorry you're going through this. So that's just that um, piece of practicing self-kindness, changing those mm -hmm. negative judgmental thoughts and making them more positive. This and then the, sorry, no, go ahead. Yeah. Oh, and then the next piece um, was the common humanity. So simply reminding myself that I'm not the only human in the world who, uh, not the only celiac who has glutened herself before. It's not the first time. And unfortunately, it's probably not the last time it will happen. And um, just simply reminding yourself that you're not alone, that we're all part of this common humanity, that we make mistakes because we're human can really, again, help with just calming down that nervous system, activating the parasympathetic nervous system so that we're not in so much pain. And then the third piece was um, the mindfulness component. And so I was, after I had been sick, I was lying in bed and trying to have a nap. And I noticed um, that my stomach was just in excruciating pain. And then at the same time, I was also noticing my brain and I was starting to ruminate over all the the negative cycle of what had happened. And I'm like, I'm never going to let this happen again. I'm writing letters to this establishment. I made my husband like call them to make sure no other celiacs were gluten that day. And I was on a mission. But then I also realized that it was time for me to just stop and take care of myself. And so simply saying, okay, just relax. You've been glutened. You're sick. Now it's time to just let your body heal and recover. And just simply, I actually pictured the vagus nerve that starts in your brain. And I just pictured it slowly relaxing. I pictured it going through my body, touching the lungs and the heart and my digestive tract, and just picturing it starting like this, but then just slowly releasing, slowly relaxing, so that I was able to just calm myself. And so that's really when we talk about the gut-brain connection. It is so, so powerful. And I lived it. I know how important it is to be able to um cope with things like that to come up with gut health issues yeah no that's so beautifully said i was just gonna add to that that you mentioned like you know how it can happen accidentally but i'm pretty sure um there are people who might just have a moment of weakness mm. where they're really craving that their favorite cupcake that has gluten and then they one day are like you know what I'm in a bad mood. I don't care about the consequences. I'm just going to have it. 
So could you also talk about that? Like how even in those moments, even though you chose to do it, like self-compassion is still like valid and important. Oh, absolutely. And, and we do know that there are people, it's about 1% of people, at least in the few studies that I've seen that do um, purposefully consume gluten. It kind of depends on if you um, are asymptomatic or not. Um, understandably, if uh, you miss it and you don't feel anything, it'd be hard to really stay so strict. Um, but again, we do know it's important. Um, and and it is going to happen, whether it's intentionally something just looks so good or you're out somewhere and you just say, oh, I just have to take a chance and hopefully it'll be fine. Um, again, that self-compassion piece is so, so important. And I would still go through all those three steps. And even if it is purposeful, um, just uh, that self-kindness piece is so beneficial. Um, and the research stands behind this uh, for helping you cope particularly during difficult times. And if you struggle with coming up with the words that, um, that feel right, just think of what you would say to a close friend or loved one who is struggling. And it, that can help you come up with, with the words. Would you, if a friend came to you and said, oh, I have celiac disease, but I ate that cookie. It just looks so good. Would you say, oh, you're an idiot? Or would you be like, thanks, that probably was tough. Yeah. I hope you're feeling okay. Yeah. Um, thinking about that can help the right words come to mind and, and absolutely being kind to yourself. That's such a good point to bring up because I feel we're most often we're our most um, we're most critical on ourselves, and at the same time, like we would never we say things to ourselves that we would never ever say to a close friend. So I think just being mindful of that and recognizing when we're being too critical for ourselves, or perhaps having ideals that are too uh, perfectionistic, I guess, um, just letting that go can be something well worth practicing. Yeah. And I feel like these principles of self-compassion that you discussed, they're so beautiful because you can apply them to anything, really. Um, if anyone's going through chronic disease or any other disease or any hardships in their life, they still are so applicable. Absolutely. I think everyone should should have these skills. And I would love to uh, love to just help in spreading the word of um, using self-compassion as a coping technique for whatever difficult thing you're going through. Do you find it takes people a little bit of time before they get good at practicing self-compassion? Like if someone, if this was an entirely new concept to someone, where would you recommend they start? That's a really good question, Cassie. I think like most things, it's individual and some people will be able to um, start to practice it easier than others. For some people who are really high um, in perfectionism, I think it can often be a bigger um, jump for them um, because if they're so used to expecting perfection from themselves, if they're so used to being hard on themselves to, and just pushing at 150%, coming at it from a uh, self-compassion perspective can be really different. And um, I think the first step in any sort of behavior change is just simply like starting to become aware of your behavior. And so I would encourage people just over the next week, start to notice what are some of the things going on in your head? What are you saying to yourself? How does it make you feel? Um, it can be helpful to even journal about that. What happened at, um, during the day and just recording and just becoming aware what's happening. Um, and then once you start to become aware, then building on that to try to just change those, that negative self-talk to more positive self-talk. And it will take time. And, and that's part of that self-compassion piece and not expecting yourself to get it perfect tomorrow. Um, 
one of the studies that I can, I can share with you guys if you like, but yeah. it was done about eight years ago. And it was one of the first ones by Kristen Neff or doctors Neff and Germer. And they're kind of the two leading experts in this area. And so they did an eight week intensive self-compassion intervention. They asked people, it was, uh, they definitely asked a lot. They asked people to meditate um, on a daily basis. And so it's wonderful. We know there's lots of benefits and they actually found significant improvements um, at the eight week uh, mark. And so significant improvements in quality of life, reductions in depression, anxiety, stress, improvements in self-compassion just in eight weeks. Not surprising when they're practicing that much. I think that practicing less, you'd still be able to um, get benefits. But what's neat in this study is that they found that all of these improvements in mental health were sustained at the six month um, time point and at one year. So Cassie, as you're probably familiar with the behavior change world, typically we, we see improvements um, after the program, but they usually tend to fizzle out afterwards. One year after people did this, they actually reported their life satisfaction continuing to go up. So that really speaks to how, um, how it takes time to, to build, to develop self-compassion, to practice it. And it's these long-term, it's the long-term outlet that or outlook that will be so important for achieving a long-term benefit. Super fascinating, actually. Like there's not a lot of lifestyle interventions that people enjoy so much and find so much benefit of that they'll actually continue and using and actually incorporate completely into their lives like that. So I think that's just a testament to how powerful self-compassion can be. Mm -hmm. I wanted to just touch back on, you mentioned it briefly, but um, just to go back a little bit, um, can you share with us um, some of the recent research you just did on the gut microbiota and exercise and adherence to a gluten-free diet and some of the psychosocial outcomes? This was some of the work I was involved with you with, and it's super exciting and some people, it might be new to some people. Yeah, thanks, Cassie. This is a really fun project. So it was called the Move C Study. Uh, you came up with the, t the name, Understanding <laughs> the Relationship Between the Microbiome, um, Vitality and Exercise and Celiac Disease, I think. And so this was a really neat 12-week uh, holistic program that we ran uh, they did participants were asked to do two high intensity interval training program um, workouts a week and then every other week we did holistic education sessions cassie ran them which was wonderful oh, and we talked about a number of the components that uh, that we've gone through today so self-compassion sleep nutrition exercise um, other strategies that people can use in terms of alternative care practitioners and we looked at um, psychosocial outcomes as well as the um, physiological and gut health outcomes. We're still working on getting both of um, the outcomes papers published, so I can't speak to any published findings yet, but um, we did find improvements in quality of life and um, uh, gut health pain or GI pain in terms of reductions there. And then we also found significant um, Cassie, remind me about your paper. We found changes yeah, okay. in the gut microbiome yeah. and waist circumference. Remind me what we found. Um, we found a significant reduction in heart rate in the participants that were doing the high intensity infill training. The resting heart were, rate, right? Yeah, resting heart rate. And then there were also beneficial shifts in the gut microbiota, which is super exciting because it was the first super study cool. to show that exercise could actually positively change the gut microbiota in people with celiac disease. So hopefully more research builds on this and 
Yes. It was just, we finally get the findings out. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Yes. So this was a really neat program. And I think um, it builds, there is some research out there looking at um, exercise for people with IBD specifically. And they found that people who are regularly active are significantly more likely to have their disease in remission six months later. So if you are someone with Crohn's colitis, really distressing problems that um, they're not under control, exercise can be really beneficial. Um, And it doesn't have to be high intensity interval training, just what you like to do, get out and move. Um, Mm -hmm. Aim for 30 minutes a day, but if you're going from bed rest, start at five minutes, start at one minute, just little baby steps, Um, be kind to yourself and and build from there. That's amazing. I feel like uh, research just keeps showing over and over the benefits of exercise with variety of diseases, like, you know, physical like diseases like IBD, Crohn's, ulcerative colitis, celiac disease, but also um, like psychological things like depression, anxiety, ADHD. So there really are no negatives unless like, you know, you're physically not able to exercise. Like there are just so many benefits. So yeah, just get out there and go do some exercise. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it I was just going to say, I think it might be a little difficult because some people, they might be experiencing, or maybe their disease isn't in remission or they're experiencing symptoms all the time. So I can imagine it might be difficult to start exercising initially. So I think perhaps just recognizing that in the long term, you will feel better and that can help motivate you to start in the first place. Yeah. And I think a little simple trick, especially um, with all of the social distancing, physical distancing we've been doing, but um, use exercise as a way to catch up with people. So we see lots of people walking around our neighborhood, um, 10 feet apart and, you know, just getting out for that socially distant walk. You'll get your social connection and also physical activity. Yeah. Or a lot of my friends have been doing like home workouts through Zoom. Like, so they yeah, can all work out together. together. Yeah, yep. but then they're, they're social distancing, but they're still getting the exercise and still socializing. So yep. there's a lot of different ways. I think hearing your story, how exercise is able to help you, if someone's not there yet, just hearing that story might motivate them to get there. Because, you know, when people hear the end result being positive, then they're more inclined to do it. So I'm glad you're sharing all this. Could you also touch more on benefit of proper like sleep hygiene in relation to you know uh, celiac disease yeah absolutely um in terms of celiac disease we know that people unfortunately with celiac disease particularly if it's not well managed often do struggle with sleep and so i think we don't know exactly why but possibly because there's imbalances in the gut we know that um things like melatonin and serotonin come from the, uh, the gut and things working mm-hmm. well. And so um, if, if things are off, it really affects sleep, which is really tricky. I know I've definitely go through many ups and downs in, in the sleep realm, um, but it is so important for overall health and well-being. If you don't get um, ideally around that eight hours of sleep a night, then think about how you feel the next day. You don't make good nutrition choices. Um, exercise is probably much less likely to happen. Any sort of stress management, you just have less patience for or time for um, because we're just exhausted. And so all of these things, again, they all work together to be able to help people feel their best once they're actually going well. Um, and sleep is so, so critical to that. 
particularly when, um, when we're met with a stressor and life just is full of stress. We go through ups and downs just because that's what happens in life. And when we're not sleeping, it is just so hard to, to cope with that. Yeah, absolutely. I think we, Cass and I can relate to in general, if you don't get enough sleep and good sleep, then obviously like, you know, our, our productivity during med school suffers greatly. Mm -hmm. Our exercise suffers in, and our mental health suffers. So there's tremendous benefit getting proper sleep. Yeah. And immune function is one thing I didn't talk about, but you probably also notice if you're not sleeping, then you're more likely to get sick. And then that cycle just keeps going down. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all tied together as well. If you don't sleep well, you're less likely to exercise. You're less likely to take care of yourself in other ways. So it's kind of the foundation for everything, hey? Mm-hmm. Okay, so we do have three questions that we ask at the end of our interview. Um, I think you will enjoy these. Okay. So first question <laughs> is, what is your favorite plant-based meal? My favorite plant-based meal? I'm trying to think. I love... Oshi Glow's, the Oshi Glow's cookbook. And so I'm trying to choose my favorite uh, <laughs> dish from there. Yeah. Um, she, uh, she has an incredible nacho dip that I really love um, that maybe I shouldn't call as my full, my full plant-based <laughs> meal, but I feel like I could eat it as a meal. <laughs> <laughs> um, and actually, and then in the Calgary community, one of my absolute favorite plant-based meals um, is from the yoga with, uh, it's called uh, Yoga Within the Heart. It's a yoga okay. studio in Bray Creek. And in the summer, they do taco nights. And have you guys been out there? I've been there. I've, it's, I've been there. It's amazing. Okay. <laughs> it's phenomenal. So I think, yeah. yeah, hands down, that is my favorite plant-based meal because they are just fabulous. They're all vegan tacos yeah. and um, majority of them are usually are gluten-free and I cannot speak highly enough about them, except I, I don't want to tell people about it because <laughs> then there'll be a bigger lineup. <laughs> <laughs> so, so anyone in the Calgary area, go check out Bread Creek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely so worth it. Fridays in the summer, mm-hmm. they hopefully they should they've been running all winter, or sorry during COVID. So I would think that uh, they'll hopefully get that going again. That's awesome. Sounds delicious. Um, our second question here is: What is one kitchen item you wouldn't be able to live without? It's a tough one too. I know. <laughs> it's hard to pick one. <laughs> you just got one of those slow, fast the slow instant pot things and uh, I feel I could probably live without it but it's just been amazing in terms of what it's been cooking for us so that's (laughs) such a treat but probably when I asked Cass she said the same thing as you really my instant pot yeah (laughs) it's so good just one pot all together as long as you plan for the heating time it's amazing Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it is amazing I have it too I love it oh good (laughs) yeah so the third question is would you be able to leave our listeners one final piece of advice, whatever of your choice? Um, be kind to yourself on your journey. It's, it will take time, but um, be kind to yourself and reach out to other people, to healthcare professionals um, for help. It doesn't show weakness. It means that you're strong. And there are so many incredibly talented, passionate healthcare providers out there who can help you, whatever you're struggling with. Um, just reach out for that help. Thank you. That was beautifully put and yeah. sound advice. Um, could, could you just share where our listeners can connect with you if they're really enjoying what you're saying? Um, is there anywhere there, any place they can reach out or learn more about you? Yeah, absolutely. My website is my name, justinedowd.ca. And um, that's probably the best place. You can email me through there. I'm on Instagram and uh, Facebook as well. 
Okay, we will share all that in the description of the podcast so people Thanks, can reach guys. out to you if they like. Well, thank you so much for being on our podcast. Honestly, I loved it. Um, I love reading about self-compassion, but I don't think I have ever heard it from the angle of celiac disease. So this was very different and I loved it. Well, thank you so much for being on here. My pleasure. It's been fun. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to the Plant Prescription Podcast. We really hope you enjoyed it and hopefully this inspires you to take steps towards making changes so you live a longer, happier, and healthier life. You can also follow us on Instagram where we share nutrition, health, and fitness content along with recipes. Our Instagram handles can be found in the description of this episode. Please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss on any upcoming episodes. If you enjoyed this, We would love it if you left us a positive review and a 5-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Please also make sure to share this with any family or friends who may benefit. Thank you so much for listening. Also, be sure to eat plenty of plants and see you next week.